Hello, and welcome to the Accidental Muralist podcast. My name is Pam Concier. I am the founder and sole little person working on this podcast. Um, sorry, I don't have any theme music or catchy, like, you know, production fancy stuff, but that's, that's just how it goes. I also am the founder of All Hands Art. You can find me on the interwebs at allhandsart.com. And I've been a little distracted today. It's been kind of hard to focus because here in Portland, Oregon, we have had this big weather event again. Yesterday we had kind of a, a surprise attack snowstorm <laughs> that is opposite how things usually work, even though we've been a poster child for extreme weather recently with the heat dome of, I think, 2021 and wildfires and ice storms and stuff like that. Um, what often happens is that there will be these news flashes and it's plastered all over the the internet and the radio and everything that there's this extreme weather warning and Mark and I joke about it as like um, snowpocalypse 2023 and you know how it it's this big hype and then everybody rushes to the grocery store to stock up on supplies as though we're going to be snowed in for two weeks and then what happens is like you know we'll we'll get like a quarter of an inch of snow and then it's gone by morning or schools will close and then you know it it only rained or something so in this that's that's kind of the typical thing it's overhype for something that ends up being kind of a nothing burger and in this case it was the opposite i think my weather app barely even registered that there was a chance of snow and it was a little slushy when i took the bus to the museum downtown to teach the class that i teach there um, and then i was surprised when we got out of the when the class was over around 2.30, it was snowing pretty hard, but it was still slushy. And then my bus ride home to Northeast Portland got whiter and more scenic as the trees were all beautifully covered in snow. And the bus was starting to like communicate with other buses about how was the little hill up ahead. And, you know, it became kind of dramatic and <laughs> it all came on really suddenly. And for me, it was just, you know, sort of a small adventure, but for a lot of people, it was, it turned into this horrific thing where people were stranded on the roads for eight hours or 10 hours, you know, it took them all night or till midnight to get home from work when they live 10 miles away. And it got really bad. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to make it home no problem and then just enjoy the scenery from my window and out my freshly newly heated home because we just replaced our furnace with a heat pump because um, it was broken. And so I, you know, things were all good and cozy in my world, but then I watched this chain unfold of emails because I'm now an employee of PCC and get all these emails and um, a lot of people were very upset and it, I'm not I'm not going to argue that they did not have a reason to be upset 
but um, there was a lot of pointing at like why did why did PCC wait so long to cancel classes? Um, they should have had a better policy in place. The policy was unclear. We should contact the union. You know, it was it it is still going on. The, it has not died down. This um, all this energy about it, and and I get it. And I'm not. I'm gonna sort of make some unfair extrapolations or connections just because it prompted me to think about some things and I'm not saying that the people who spent six hours in the snow getting home I really I feel for them and that was harrowing and I'm sorry that that happened and um, my what it made me think of is how easy it is how it's kind of the natural human tendency when things go badly for us, whether it's something that we may have had a hand in or whether it is Mother Nature playing, you know, little weather tricks on us, um, how quickly we turn and look for some place to put the blame. It's just a really natural thing to do. And I have done that a lot where you're in a situation, you don't want to be in that situation. And so you're kind of casting around for whose fault it is. I know how that goes. And it, what it makes me then think of is um, maybe how we think that things are more secure than they are and maybe that we have more power over for example how our universities could respond and communicate unexpected changes in the weather so that people stay safer it's possible that a policy change could help that um, it might just be that the weather is getting more extreme and unpredictable and we're gonna have to deal with it um, and that brings me to the to the next thing I wanted to mention which is the dealing with it part and I know that climate change is a great example for this because it's an area that we can no longer deny is happening I think no matter where you live you felt the effects of it and then when you learn about people who live on small islands in the Pacific or you know places along the equator that are feeling it at a greater a much greater effect and they are the ones who have contributed almost zero to the causes of it um, we know that it's a thing so unless you totally have your head in the sand you have come to the conclusion that climate chaos is a real thing that we're living with these days and I think there's a tendency out of fear and it is scary to um, maybe sort of put our faith or hope in some technological fix or some governmental policy that will save us or that will make it better. And I do 
I do think that those things are can be useful and are important. Governments definitely need to be doing more. Um, to a certain extent, maybe technology can help, but I, I don't put all my eggs in that basket. But one thing, the point of what I really wanted to talk about and why, um, how this relates to our little weather situation we're having today, because I let me just back up to say that what what barely registered on my weather app as a thing that was going to happen ended up yesterday being the the snowiest day in Portland since 1943. We had 11 inches of snow and um, it pretty much like the whole city shut down and and it was unexpected so people were just you know out on the roads and stuck and it was a whole thing. It's pretty dramatic and it's not over. It's very cold today. The snow has stopped, but it's windy and it's really cold. So the snow's not going anywhere for a while. Um, and I'm not going anywhere for a while. I'm just going to sit here with you and do this podcast. But going back to the fixes for climate change and, and our tendency to cast around or wait for some high-tech company to come up with something or some government group to come up with something. Um, one thing that I have learned from Michael Mead, and if you've been following me a while, you've already heard me quote him or talk about him. He has a podcast called The Living Myth, and he will say the change we need, that the healing that we're seeking for the earth, for the climate, is not going to come from one unified, you know, it's not like one day Congress is going to agree on a really great policy package and vote on it and then it's going to fix things or you know, a tech company is not going to invent like this one solution that's going to fix everything, even though some probably are trying to do the heroic thing and, you know, save the world. But he would argue, and I would agree, that the change is coming, the healing is going to come when each person or more and more and more and more people look into themselves, find their own genius, he would call it, their own gifts that they were born with, and and bring those out. And when we bring our genuine gifts out into the world, they naturally are in service to other people. And the more that we can do that and use our gifts, and each person is kind of working in a way or in a field or in a industry or in a capacity that is most suited to them and most authentic to them, they are being healed in the bringing out of that creativity and the people around them are benefiting from the creativity and this is how one by one in all our many, 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 many diverse ways healing can take place that can also affect the culture it also can affect nature so then the next question that that raises is how do you know what your genius is i think that's what i struggled with for a long time i know other people struggle with that too like how either 
either we're so trained, I would say, indoctrinated by the culture to um, be all you can be, be, you know, like be anything you want to be. Um, so you should aim high and we tend to celebrate, I would say, worship um, people who are super rich or who are quote unquote super successful, meaning usually they're rich, but or they're on TV or they, you know, have all these very high profile achievements or they are a doctor or they are a lawyer or they, you know, we have these categories that equal success. And um, the, it's hard to shake that loose because that is something that we've been sold it as making the most of yourself. <laughs> That's another phrase that seems pretty typical here in the United States. Make the most of yourself, which means, you know, if you're not going big, you're not doing it right. And I think there's a different, yeah, some people I think are are meant to go big. They really have this dream of like huge things and other people are enjoy a quieter existence and those types of lives are usually not really celebrated or not seen as successful. But one thing in a recent podcast I was listening to of Michael Mead, he was talking about, he was answering the question of how how do people find their genius if everybody is born with a genius and he would contrast that belief system he would attach that or attribute it to like what all ancient cultures used to know like everybody comes into the world with their own genius as opposed to the more modern notion that might have come out of the enlightenment that we're a blank slate and we can be anything we want to be um, so discarding that one, the modern one, going back to the ancient one, how do you find your genius? Um, it's pretty hard, like I said, in a noisy world that is defining what success looks like, defining what power looks like, defining what effort looks like and hard work and, you know. Um, so I would say one thing you need to do for sure is to carve out some quiet time to be with yourself in silence and spend time with your journal or in meditation or um, any kind of creative medium will help. Um, he also, he has two answers to that question about how to find your genius and they're not the expected thing. One of them is to think of a time when you have really struggled in your life a wound you could say it could be from the family like maybe you grew up in a family that was abusive or there was some challenge or you learned at a really young age that in order for your survival really you had to learn how to read people and you know adjust accordingly and this was something that you didn't even know that you were learning, but you just sort of figured out because you had to in order to get along in your situation. Um, that, that wounding of having that challenging family situation also brought out gifts in you, resources that you had within you that enabled you to survive and 
make the best of a really difficult situation. So there's some giftedness there. There's some genius there. So the question would be, how did you cope with something that was really, really hard? And for me, I can relate. When I think about that question, it makes me think about, um, I would say the hardest time in my life so far was when I was going through a divorce. I had, I can remember the shifting that went, that took place inside of me while we were in mediation um, because I was realizing that this woman we had hired, who was also an attorney and a mediator and a Buddhist, and she was good at her job and she was impartial. Like she wasn't going to take my side just because I felt like she should. She didn't know anything about us except for what we were going to tell her. So I learned after the first session, okay, I need to draw up my reserves. I need to be telling the truth. This is a safe space because, because there's a third person here. So I don't need to feel like I, I, I feel like I can talk freely and have some backup. And I could feel myself over the course of those sessions drawing some strength up from the visceral parts of me that I didn't really know I had, but I, I had to pull them out. And it felt like I went from sort of feeling victim-like to feeling almost this surge of power, not in a domineering way because that wasn't my goal, but in a way where I could feel, I could tell the truth about my situation, I could articulate what I wanted, what pissed me off, what, what I thought should happen in ways that I had not done before that. So that's an example of me in a very wounded place. It was one of the hardest times, probably the hardest experience I've ever gone through so far. Um, where I found this deep reserve of strength that I didn't know I had. And then another, so that's one place that Michael Mead suggests you can look to find your genius. And I, maybe, you know, it will just be like a source of strength for you. Another thing that he suggests is thinking of a time, a challenging time when you felt like you were really shining. And so with that question, that um, makes me think of different situations where, and this is kind of how I relate to what I think of as my genius. And I feel like I have to qualify it and say, you know, sorry, not to, I don't mean to sound braggy or whatever, but that's just my like leftover Protestant. Uh, yes, you have gifts from God, but the worst thing you could do is brag and toot your own horn. So I'm still trying to work through some of that. But um, the the gifts that I feel like I that feel very present to me when I am kind of in them is in creative situations. I I experienced this a lot when I was doing a lot of murals, where I would be working with some people. Let's say at a school, they had they had ideas for some kind of mural or creative project, but they couldn't see it. 
So I would listen. I learned to just be open to hearing what their ideas were. And if I didn't force it, if I just kind of listened, it, it pretty much happened every time. I don't think I ever came up with just drawing a blank, but almost every time this, this vision would sort of just appear in my mind and I needed to learn how to be brave enough to just then say it out loud and describe it. Or in some cases I could kind of sketch it or, and when I, tr and learning to trust myself in that way was not easy because um, I alluded already to this idea of like, don't toot your own horn, or I was super perfectionist as a kid. So there's a lot of like second guessing myself and, oh, what if this is a stupid idea? Maybe I shouldn't say it, or, you know, maybe I'm going to sound presumptuous or bossy or all these things that were also big no-nos in my in my cultural training. So just being able to learn how to trust myself in those situations, listen to what ideas were, allow the, th the thing was already starting to appear in my mind and then having the trust in myself to say it out loud. And in almost every case, it would be like, oh yeah, like that, it at least would give us a place to start. Maybe we still needed to tweak it or, you know, add on to it, but it would, it would just come. And so that's an area where I feel like I, when I'm in those situations and am opening myself up to, it's almost like receiving these, these ideas. Cause I believe that's how creativity works. Like it's, I'm not muscling it out of me. I'm just here to be, to put in the work and, and then be open to what comes. Those are the, those are the ways where I feel my genius in this sense that Michael Mead is talking about. And I'm using little air quotes because, you know, the word genius, we want to attach it to like those people, but not us. But he is, he is arguing and I am arguing that every one of us has a genius. And those are two ways to find it. So one, think of, of time you were really just dragged on the mat and at a really low point, how did you, or a challenge, you know, any challenging, super hard situation, how did you cope with it? That's one place to find your genius. Another one, what, what are some situations that you're in where you feel like you're just lit up with, um, aliveness and, you know, inspiration and, and that could be another way to find it. And so going back to the climate notion or any giant problem that we're facing, um, a, it's a lesson to not try to avoid problems or blame every, you know, like heap blame on the problem because the problems, the challenges, the hard times, yeah, they suck, but they're also so, so loaded with lessons. And what I described of my divorce, that I don't, I think that I'll, there's so much gold there for me to keep unpacking that I probably it will, you know, for the rest of my life, I'll still be learning from that experience because what what going through a divorce meant for me is I had to shed every notion that I ever had of myself 
I thought, I always pictured since I was a little kid, I would grow up, I would get married, I would have kids, I would have this happy family. And to, and here I was like being the person to say, I'm going to break up this family and I don't want to be married anymore. And now, you know, I need for our kids to have two homes. You know, it was just, it was kind of unthinkable for me. It took me 10 years to get to that point because it was so unthinkable. It went against everything that I had been brought up to think I was. It went against everything that my church upbringing had told me about the sanctity of marriage and how forever it was. And it it shook me to my core because it, it forced me to um, kind of say, hey, that I'm I yeah it just I had to I had to choose myself over all of the things that I had learned I was supposed to be and I know lots of people get divorced and I don't know what other people's experiences are with it but it just it shook me to my core and the lessons are still there. And I actually, even though it was hard, I needed every single one of those lessons. I'm still learning from it. Um, so I wouldn't trade it. And I think that having that curiosity of like, what, if we're in challenging times, what what's the lesson here? What can this teach us? Which is different than I deserve it or, you know, it's it's not that it's if I can quote Michael Mead one more time he also says our it's our soul that pulls us into these situations what he would call the right kind of trouble in order to kind of crack us open to be the thing that we are here to be to sort of let go of some of the pretenses and the training that we've had from our culture and and to just like grapple with the deeper, harder things that unlock so many more gifts and skills and strengths and um, ways of healing that we wouldn't get to otherwise. So whether it is a weather catastrophe, I hope not, you know, I don't wish trouble on anybody, but I have come, you know, that's what life is. It's we're deluding ourselves if we think that there's a way to go through life avoiding hardship. There's not. And all the effort that we spend trying to avoid every kind of hardship might be um, might not be the best use of our life force. So when you are in hardship, because we all are or will be or have been try as much as you can to mine it for the lessons find the soulfulness wherever you can for me it's in any kind of art visual arts painting poetry dancing singing music just any any expression of creativity um, which connects me to my soul, which connects me to 
my body, which connects me to nature, the great body, which connects me to the feminine because bodies and souls are an expression of the feminine. And if we were all a little bit more connected to that, I think we could do a lot towards healing nature and each other and ourselves. I may have rambled a little bit here. Thanks for bearing with me, but um, I wish you soulful uh, joy and strength in your hardships and just know that there's learning to be had and there's no way really to go into a deeper, more meaningful life without the hardships. They are there to teach us and um, and there's more joy on the other side. So thank you for listening and I will catch you next time on the Accidental Muralist podcast.